Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. You guys know what's up. I'm your host, Tyler, and today's episode is all about the TCU Horned Frogs. This is the deep dive, ladies and gentlemen. It's, yeah, it's a preview of sorts because, yes, I am taking a deep dive into our national championship game opponent. So, yeah, I guess you can call it a preview, but it's not necessarily our official preview of the national championship game. That is is coming up for you guys on Sunday. I wanted to get Curtis on here for that episode, give him a chance to have his say heading into the National Championship game. And on that show, we're going to talk about the, the specific matchups, the game plans, all that kind of thing, and give you our official predictions for the game. So that's coming up for you guys in a couple of days. But today, I want to go all scouting the enemy style on this and get you guys more familiar with this TCU team that stands directly between us and back-to-back national championships. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, you guys know I try to be an open book on this podcast, tell you what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on in my life, all that kind of stuff. I try, and I want to do that here. The reality is, just being honest with you, I don't have many notes for this episode. Very, very few. And there's a reason for that. This week has been insane. To call it chaotic is the understatement of the century. Between making plans for the game, uh, working overtime this week, getting things ready at my day job so that I can be out the first part of next week, the Georgia basketball game last night, which by the way, go dogs, Mike White getting the job done. I'm very excited to talk some Georgia basketball here in the very near future in the next couple of weeks. But today, we're still on Georgia football because, oh, I don't know, we have the biggest game of the year, one of the biggest games in Georgia football history come up this weekend, so we're still on football for now. But all of those things, you know, making plans, working crazy hours at work, trying to get things ready so I can be out next week, Georgia basketball, all that, between all that, I have had very little time to sit down and actually watch tape, dive into the numbers, all those things that I normally do on these Scouting the Enemy episodes. So I I just want to be upfront about that. However, saying all that, 
you guys are in luck. I don't need to watch any film on this TCU team to get ready to talk about them on this podcast. I don't need to look at the numbers. I don't need to read up on the Horn Frogs. And that's not because I'm some sort of savant or because I'm special. I mean, hell, y'all listen to this show. You know no, that's true. I just don't need to watch any film or do any prep work for this episode because outside of the Tarleton game, which was their week two matchup against some, I don't know, some way, I guess that's Texas, a team named Tarleton. Other than that game, which I couldn't get on TV when it was played week two, I have watched every single game TCU has played this season. Those of you who listen to this show regularly, you know why that is. Now, for those of you who maybe don't and are tuning in, you know, randomly here because, again, we have a massive game coming up in a couple of days, let me fill you in real quick. I was very high on this TCU team coming into the season. In fact, outside of the TCU fan base, I'm not sure there was anyone in America who was higher on the Horn Frogs than I was. And guys, I put my money where my mouth is. When I say I was high on them, I mean I was high on them. This offseason, and I know a lot of you know this, but for those of you who don't, who might be checking us out for the first time, I placed the two largest preseason win total bets of my life this offseason. One of those win total bets was on TCU to go over six and a half wins. Uh, Cha-ching, yeah, nailed that one. Now, the other one, not so much. Arkansas over six and a half. Let's let's not talk about that one. Dear God, four losses by a combined nine points. You know, that's uh, that's an art form. That's an art form. But TCU, cha-ching, check that. I mean, I guys, I'm, I'm about maxed out all of my betting accounts on TCU in the preseason. That's how high I was on them. But it wasn't just the, the preseason win total over six and a half bet. I didn't stop there. I also placed a wager in May on TCU, the team picked to finish eight out of 10 teams in the preseason by the Big 12 media to win the Big 12 championship at 2,800. Not 28, 2,800 to one odds. I was all in, boys. I was all in. Now, yeah, I, you guys know I nailed the win total bet by early October. And well, I mean, damn. We all know what happened in the Big 12 title game. That was a, God, that was a tough pill to swallow. I was watching that one uh, in a sports bar in downtown Atlanta before I went to the SEC championship game. And mm, yeah, that was a tough one. But hey, then the breaks when you, when you bet on sports. That's what happens sometimes. But the fact remains... I have been all over this TCU team since the late spring. And as such, I have watched every single game with bated breath. So with that in mind, I really don't think it's a stretch to say that, I mean, I'm probably the foremost expert on this TCU team, not just in the Georgia media slash podcasting ecosystem, but really, I probably know more about this TCU team than than any other Georgia Bulldog fan alive. Unless maybe like you went to TCU as an undergrad or you went to TCU in grad school or you have a kid at TCU and you watch all these. Maybe there's someone out there like that. But in terms of people, especially people who do Georgia podcasts and cover the Georgia football team, I truly don't think there's anyone out there that knows more about this TCU team than I do. So if you want to know more about this TCU team, if you want to figure out who we who we're up against on Monday night, 
I think you've come to the right place. And guys, I know how that sounds. I know that sounds like insanely arrogant. And I, I really don't mean it like that at all. Again, I am an idiot. Those of you listening to the show, you know I am an idiot. I get so many things wrong all the time. Like we all do, right? I'm no different than anyone out there. Any of you guys out there, I just happen to be a guy who's watched a ton of TCU this year. Again, every single game other than their week two matchup against Tarleton. So all I'm saying, all I'm saying, guys, is I got you. I got you today. So let's go ahead and let's dive into this thing. Yeah, you you know, as I just said, your boy here put big money on TCU in the preseason. Big money. A team that finished 5-7 and seven overall last year and 3-6 and six in the Big 12. So Tyler, what in the hell were you doing? Why did you go so, so, so in on this TCU team that wasn't good last year? Didn't make a bowl game last year. Well, let me try to explain that. And the reason I want to explain that is because I think it's instructive in terms of why this TCU team is where they are. Like, how did they get from 5-7 and seven last year to the Cinderella story? And the reality is I, I watched TCU. I didn't watch every TCU game last year. I mean, I, I didn't have money on them last year. But I watched, you know, probably three to four TCU games. You know, I watched them play Oklahoma State. I watched them play Baylor. I basically watched them play the good teams in the Big 12, right? Because, I mean, I wasn't going to just turn on a TCU game just to turn on TCU. When they were playing good teams, I was watching those games. I, I saw TCU play. So probably three or four games last year. And every single time that I watched TCU last year, again, a team that finished five and seven and three and six in the Big 12, I came away thinking like, man, this team is so much more talented than how they are playing. How is this team with these players five and seven? Like, what is going on? Like, th- that's crazy. There's no way this team should be under 500. But the big reason they were, in my opinion, was the coaching situation. It's not that Gary Patterson's not a good coach. Gary Patterson had basically, he didn't create the program, but he got the program into the Power Five, into the Big 12, shepherded them through that process, and had some really good years at TCU. He's a heck of a football coach, guys. But things... It wasn't just they got stale with Gary Patterson. Things got toxic in that locker room, and it just it wasn't good. It was they, they just weren't in a good spot. They just needed a change, and they went from one extreme in Gary Patterson to Sonny Dykes, the new head coach, who's like the one of the ultimate players coaches in college football. Very different temperament, very different approach to coaching football. Just a different guy, and with, with a different mindset. And that's exactly what this TCU team needed to unlock all of the talent that they had. I mean, guys, they don't—they didn't bring in a ton of new guys. I mean, the guys that they are winning with this year, the guys that are their biggest playmakers, were largely on this team last year with a very, like, with very few exceptions. They brought in Johnny Hodges from Navy. They've got a freshman starting at nose tackle, but they really didn't bring in a ton of new, like, impact players. In fact, they lost a couple of impact impact players. They lost a couple of impact pass rushers, defensive players in that front seven from last year. And a lot of people, one of the narratives was like, the reason they were picked eighth in the preseason was like, how are they going to replace all those guys? I mean, this TCU, they weren't that good. They don't recruit that well. So like, how how is this going to work? Well, I mean, it worked out just fine. So that was why I was so high on them. I I saw the talent, the talent that people are kind of waking up to right now is what I saw last year. They just weren't winning games because things just weren't good behind the scenes. It was just a toxic situation. But I felt like if they got the right offensive coach, because the thing, like Gary Patterson's a defensive guy. Like they had all this, this offensive talent, but things got stale on offense. I didn't like what they were doing offense. I didn't think that they were maximizing the skill sets they had on hand. So I feel like if they got the right offensive coach, which they did, and they just made moderate improvement on defense, 
which they made more than modern improvement on defense. Because guys, they were bad on defense last year. They gave up 7.2 yards per play last year, guys. It was 126 out of 131 teams in the country last year. This year, they're not great in yards per play defensively, but significantly better. I talked about improvement, right? They went from 7.2 yards per play last year on defense to 5.5. That's way more than the moderate improvement, I thought. I thought they could get to like six yards per play. They might be able to win some games, have a puncher's chance. Who knows? Maybe win some things on, win the Big 12 if their offense was clicking the way that I thought it would. But they went from five, 7.2 to 5.53 under new defense coordinator Joe Gillespie, who I thought was an incredible hire. Clearly he was, but bringing him over from Tulsa, he was a guy in the group of five that always had a high level of respect among his peers. And it was just a matter of time until he got a big time job. And this was the big time job. He comes over and dude, I mean, has turned that defense around. So I felt they had the talent on offense. I felt they had the talent on defense to take off if they got the right coaches. And clearly they took off. Clearly, they got the right coaches to the point to where like they've even succeeded wildly beyond my already high expectations for them. Yes, I thought they would go over six and a half wins. I felt really good about that. And that's why I put so much money on it. I didn't put as much money on them to win the Big 12 because I didn't have to. It was 2,800 to one odds. But I put enough for it to have been a really nice chunk of change for me. And dear God, man, just sneaked the ball in on the goal line. Killing me. Absolutely killed me with that. But the point is, I had high expectations for them. I thought they had a shot, maybe an outside shot to win the Big 12. Didn't think it was really going to happen, but thought, hey, maybe, you know, if things you know, fall their way. I didn't, I didn't think Oklahoma was going to be great with a new coach. I still wasn't sold on Texas with Quinn Ewers. I thought Baylor was going to take a step back. So I was like, hey, why not TCU? I know, like, they they weren't good last year, at least record-wise, but there's so much more talent on that team than, than what you would think based on their record. And uh, some of these other teams, I think, might come back down to earth. Like Oklahoma State would take a step back. So let's take a flyer. Let's take a shot. And it almost paid off, man. It almost paid off. But I in no way did I think that they were remotely going to be a national championship contender. I cannot sit here and tell you with a straight face that I thought, hey, man, they had an outside shot at that. No, I did not think that. I thought maybe they can go like 10-2 in the regular season, sneak into the Big 12 title game and and find a way to win that game, but I didn't see national championship. So wildly beyond my expectations for them, which were already, I think, higher than than the average college ball fan out there. And guys, let me just tell you, this TCU team, if you haven't already figured it out, if you can't figure it out by just the fact that they are in the national championship game, they are really freaking good. And I keep seeing, I keep hearing, I keep reading people just kind of dismissing them a lot of people in the Georgia fan base, which, you know, like each each their own, do what you want to do. I can't tell you what to think and what to say, but I keep reading all that. Like it's just a foregone conclusion that we're, that we're going to win this game. Like we're just going to get anointed. That's all. That's all we have to do is just kind of roll our hats out there and win. Man, I'm here to tell you that is not the case at all. This is an extremely good football team. They did not sneak in the back door here. They earned this, right? Now they've had some close calls, but they've they've earned this. They've won the games they've had to win to get here, all right? This is a very, very talented team. In fact, we'll see how it all plays out. I don't know, but I don't think it would be shocking if TCU ended up having more players drafted in this year's draft than we do. I mean, it's just one isolated draft, but I don't think it would be like crazy to say that's possible. I mean, think, let's rattle off the names here. Quentin Johnson, the stud wide receiver, who there's a lot of talk right now that he's 
going to be the number one wide receiver taken in the NFL, in the NFL draft. Travis Hodges Tomlinson, one of the best corners in college football, who won the Thorpe Award. If you guys aren't familiar with that, that's the award given out annually to the best defensive back in the country. Josh Newton, his running mate, the other corner, Ain't bad himself. He's a really good player himself. He's going to get drafted. Max Duggan, the Heisman runner-up, might not be a first-round draft pick, but he's going to get drafted. Uh, D. Winters, I think, is an awesome inside linebacker. Kendra Miller's a tough, physical, hard-nosed running back who has really deceptive speed and athleticism. Steve Avila, really good guard. Darius Davis is, I think, the best kick returner in the country. Jared Wiley doesn't get a lot of attention because they have all these other playmakers on offense, but I think he's a really, really good tight end. He's a dangerous weapon for them. He's a transfer from Texas, and if you don't pay attention to him, he will make plays for them. I definitely think that he's going to be an NFL tight end, at least get a shot to make an NFL roster. So that's just off the top of my head. Well, that's nine or 10 names right there. Those guys are all getting drafted. I mean, we'll probably have, you know, what, nine, I'd say somewhere between, I don't know, probably like 10 to 12-ish drafted this year. So, I mean, they might not surpass our numbers, but they're going to be right there. They have a shot to have more than we have. So, all I'm saying is, like, this is a really talented team. Let's not act like they don't have a lot of talent. Now, do they have as much talent up and down their roster? They're one through 85 scholarship players. Well, no, they don't, obviously. Like, they don't recruit the same level we do, but that doesn't mean they don't have elite players and spots on this team and on both sides of the ball. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Offensively, though, like th- that, that's their calling card. They- they've made massive improvements on defense. They're still like a. I would call them a, 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 an above-average-ish defense, not a, not a particularly good or great defense, but at least above average. But that's all they need to be when their offense has been as good as it has been this year. They have a top 15 offense nationally. Uh, this is the most explosive offense in the country. And guys, like I don't even need to look at the numbers to tell you that. Again, just watching them all year long. They've made big play after big play and like game-changing big play after big play like to help them win football games. They've, they've played a lot of close games, and they've won a lot of those close games because they were able to hit explosive plays. The most recent example of that, of course, being Michigan. That huge screen, uh, that well, I guess you call it a screen. It was a ball that was thrown behind line of scrimmage. They love to do that and get the other receivers out there blocking uh, for, the, for the receivers. And they don't really necessarily use Quentin Johnston in that 
in that role all the time. They use him in that role late in the in the game against Michigan. He took the was a 75-ish yard touchdown pass to the house. It's just a pass from behind the line of scrimmage. He just took it to the house. Once he got going, dude was gone. They make game-changing big plays, but the numbers are, are are pretty startling. They have more plays of 50 or more yards than any team in the country. In fact, they have twice more than twice as many plays of 50 or more yards than we do. They got 21 guys. 21 plays of 50 or more yards. Uh, Tennessee was number two. They had 19. Now TCU did play an extra game, so there's that. But they're about then. TCU and Tennessee are are about equal in their explosiveness on offense this year. Uh, TCU had 46 plays, 46 of 40 or more yards on the year. So they hit big plays and they change games with those big plays. Uh, defensively, they play a, very, a funky 3-3-5 defensive style that you don't really see all that often. More and more teams are running that. It's, Iowa State, when Matt Campbell came over, brought brought John Heacock in as the defense coordinator. They were the team that really kind of started that trend in the Big 12. And the reason 3-3-5 has been so effective and it's kind of, it hasn't taken over the Big 12, but it's become trendy in that conference and in a lot of these conferences with some of these high-powered offenses because it... It's kind of this hybrid defense that allows you to get more athletes on the field, right? You only have three down line, you have three linebackers and five DBs. So let's you get those athletes on the field, but you also stay structurally sound against the run the way they scheme it up. And you wouldn't think that you'd be very good against the run. People think, like, okay, I'm just going to run the ball down their throats. And you can do that. I mean, that's that's one of the vulnerabilities to the 3-3-5 because they don't have as much size. But it's schemed up in a way to have all the gaps accounted for in the run game. The, this, uh, the, the five DBs in secondary are very aggressive against the run. They all have their roles there. Problem is... They're just a little undersized, but when they started running that Iowa State, that wasn't really that much of a problem because nobody was nobody was really trying to pound the ball down their throat. Somebody could really do that. They didn't really have the personnel to do that in the Big 12. Now what you're starting to see is more and more of these Big 12 teams are kind of move towards more of a pro-style attack, like Baylor last year won the Big 12 title. Why did Baylor run the offensive scheme that they ran? Why did they bring in Jeff Grimes to run, want to run what they run, which is a, a very, very run-heavy offense, like a ground-and-pound physical attack? Well, that was really a reaction, in my opinion, to all these teams running a 3-3-5. And they felt like, hey, if all these teams are moving to 3-3-5 defense, why don't we just go all in offensively on the style that gives that defense trouble? Baylor and West Virginia, to a degree, under Neil Brown has been doing that. Kansas State has kind of, they've done that for a while. They kind of lean more into it. So you're starting to see more and more teams start to kind of lean that direction in the Big 12 because the 3-3-5 is kind of taking over that conference. But they do do a lot of funky things, their defense. And then they know, like, they have they have a lot of good players in that defense. Like, they do. I mentioned Travis, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. Uh, I really like D. Winters, that inside linebacker. I mean, heck, I like all their inside linebackers. I like Demory Hodge. I like Johnny Hodges. A lot of Hodges or Hodge on this TCU team. At least this TCU defense. But they have a lot of talent on this defense. But they're just not... Like they're they're not their defensive talent is not the same level as Georgia's offensive talent or Michigan's offensive talent or Ohio State's offensive talent, but it does it doesn't actually have to be, and they understand that. Like again, Joe Gillespie, the defense coordinator, is fantastic. He understands that, so they do a lot of funky things defensively with stunting. They have a bunch of weird exotic pressure packages that they'll use, and that's one of the things. That's one of the advantages of a three three five. Also, is that you have a lot of players playing it at depth. Right, and what I mean by that is playing off the line of scrimmage. You only have three guys in the line of scrimmage, 
And so, yeah, you might be vulnerable to the run a little bit between the tackles, sure, because you're kind of undersized there, but you can counteract that with athleticism and you scheme it up to where you're twisting, you're stunning, you're pressuring from different angles, you're bringing different guys, you're showing some simulated pressure and you can just use a lot of, a lot of like, I would call it kind of off speed stuff, things that might catch the offense off guard and, and give you the advantage, even though you might not have as much talent as that opposing offense might have. But they have this this kind of different defense that we've seen, but we haven't seen a ton of it. So who we've played this? So last year we played Arkansas, who ran a three three five, at least a version of. It. And every defense kind of has their own twist on. It if you run a three three five, they're not all the exact same. We've played Samford this year, Kent State, and Mississippi State all run a version of a three three five. So it's not that we haven't seen that style of defense this year. We have, but if also if you think about it, I mean, look, we just outman Sanford we know that I mean they wish the game should never been played but like we weren't crisp like you know, some of the things that they were doing on defense like we we weren't I'm not saying we weren't ready for it, but like we certainly were not playing at our optimal level against that same thing with Kent State like we kept you know having issues running the football we were kind of stubbing our toe and, and a lot of that was just playing against a scheme that gets your eyes in different places that makes you do things in a way that you don't normally do it's just tough and like for offensive linemen, one of the reasons it's tough to to sometimes run against a 3-3-5 is because when you have all these players playing from depth, not only can you bring them from different angles, but it's also really tough for offensive linemen to get out there and block these athletic players in space. What offensive linemen are comfortable doing is blocking dudes right in front of them on the line of scrimmage with their hand in the dirt. That's what they're comfortable doing. They aren't really comfortable trying to block 230-pound linebackers in space or blocking 195-pound really athletic DBs in space. They're not comfortable doing that because those guys are more athletic than, them, than they are. They're elusive. It's hard to actually get your hands on them. Yeah, you're bigger and stronger. If they get their hands on them, they're going to bury them, but that's easier said than done. It's hard when you're that big to be able to move well enough to get your hands on these guys when they're coming from different angles and you're thinking and you're guessing and they move as well as they do. It makes it really difficult which is one of the reasons I think that Darnell Washington is such a critical player to hopefully have ready in this game because he he functions like, like an offensive lineman, but he's also athletic enough to be able to handle guys in space. Like Darnell is such a dynamic blocker in space. Our screen game, I don't want to say it's exclusive because of Darnell, but he's such a big part of what we do in the screen game. Even if he's not catching the passes, his ability to block in space, the truck sweeps, him being able to pull out and block in space is a huge part of what we do. And that's what we're going to have to do in this game because that's what TCU makes you do with their 3-3-5. And I don't know if Darnell is going to play. What I can tell you is that last night at the Georgia basketball game, again, go dogs, Auburn sucks, Darnell was there, Darnell was walking without a limp, without a boot on. Take that for what it's worth. I don't know, man. I don't know. He looked like he he looked fine. He looked good. Like he looked normal. You wouldn't have thought unless you knew that he got hurt a couple days ago in the Peach Bowl, you would not have known that Darnell was injured. So I'm very hopeful that he will play. That the primary injury he's dealing with, based off my understanding, is it's a it's a bruise. All right, it is a tissue, a deep tissue bruise on the top of his foot. I have had those before. Um, those of you listening to the show on a regular basis know that. I don't know if I'd call myself a runner. I, I like to run. I I run marathons, half marathons, do that kind of thing. And um, one of the things that I have I've learned my lesson over time is you cannot tie your shoes too tight, especially when you are running some of the distances that I run. You can't do that because if you tie your shoes too tight, you want to be you want to be tight enough so your foot doesn't come out and you know you know it's not too loose. But if you tie your shoes too tight and you go run that far. 
you can bruise the top of your foot. You get that that tissue bruise. And I've had that before. It is very painful. Every step you take hurts, but you can still function. You can still do what you want to do. I still run when I, when I, I haven't done that in a long time. Because again, I'm old now and I've learned my lesson. But when I'd had some of those issues and some of those injuries, if you want to call it that, I don't think things an injury because I could still go out and run. Like you can still, you can run. It just hurts. You just have to be aware of it. And it's like, ow, that hurts. And over time, it just gets better. So I think that's kind of what Darnell's going to be dealing with. It's going to be more of like a pain tolerance thing. I'm not, I'm not a doctor guys. And I, I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I've not inspected Darnell, but if it is what they are reporting it to be, then I think he will at least give it a shot. Will he be a hundred percent effective? I, I don't know, but I just want Darnell out there. I, I just want him out there and, and see what this guy can do. But anyway, let's move beyond their defense. They have a a weird, strange, interesting defense that's going to give us trouble because you don't play this kind of defense very often, right? On top of that, they also have a very experienced, very veteran team. They have eight super seniors. Thank you, COVID, I guess. Uh, We have a couple ourselves. We got eight. In fact, if you take a little bit of a deeper look, they have out of their 22 starters on offense and defense, 16 of those 22 players are are fourth-year guys or or older, so at least fourth-year guys. That is a lot of experience, guys. And then they have one of the hottest up-and-coming coaching stars in the country and offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, the 33-year-old younger brother of Lincoln Riley. And oh yeah, they did just beat a Michigan team that beat Ohio State by 22 in Columbus. Now, did Michigan help them win that game? Sure. I mean, indisputably, yes. Two pick-sixes, Fourth down, ridiculous play call on the first drive from the ball at the one-yard line. Yes, of course. If you watch that game, you know that Michigan helped TCU. But hey, man, TCU made the plays. They made the pick sixes. They took advantage of the opportunities that Michigan presented them. TCU won the football game. Turnovers happen. It happens in every single game. So TCU, they won, and um, they beat that Michigan team that beat the hell out of Ohio State in Columbus. Now, was Michigan really that much better than Ohio State? I told you guys coming in to the semifinals. I did not think so. I told you I thought if, if Michigan played Ohio State 10 times, I think Ohio State probably won seven of them. But that one night, one day in Columbus just wasn't one of those. So let I me mean, take that for what it's worth. But they beat a good Michigan team. Can we at least agree on that? I think we can agree on that. So yes, TCU is a very good team, guys. They are an extremely, extremely good football team and they deserve all of our respect. But you knew that was coming, right? You knew the butt was coming. But if you remember back to, I don't know, what was this, a month or so ago, back to our college football playoff selection reaction episode, I said on that episode that I thought we got screwed by the committee. I didn't think the committee had the guts to put Ohio State at three and TCU at four. And I and like, I, I didn't have a major problem because I, I do, I mean, I get TCU went undefeated in the regular season, lost in the conference championship game in overtime, right? And... They uh, had one more win than Ohio State. So if you're going by most deserving, if that's how you're ranking things, then sure, TCU deserved to be at Ohio State or deserved to be at three more than Ohio State did. I get that. I've always been a guy, and like I think you have to factor in like most deserving. I think that has to be part of the equation. It can't not be at least part of the equation. But I've always leaned more towards best team than I do most deserving team. I think it has to be a mix of the two, but I, I'm like I'm usually partial to who I think, who I think is the best team. I know it's very subjective, um, and most people who do these, who make these selections rely more on most deserving because that's not as subjective. You can say, oh, they won more games, right? And that's, you take the subjectivity out of it. I get it. I understand it. I just thought if you're going by best teams, I thought Ohio State was better than TCU. And I thought that sucked for us because as the number one team, we have to sit here and play the team that I feel is the second best team in the country. 
I get of those four teams in the playoff, I thought we were the best team and, and Ohio State was the second best team. And I'm, it's like, damn, we got to play them in the first and the semifinals. Like that, that, that is not how you reward the number one team in the country who went undefeated in the regular season and won their conference championship. But that's how it went down. But there was a reason I said that. A big part of the reason I said that was, yes, I'm the guy who watched TCU play every game this year, right? I, I, I saw in my eyes that they are a really, really good team, but are they on the same level as Ohio State in Georgia? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And last week, I put some numbers out there for you. And uh, I'm going to put them out there for you again. I know some of you are listening and maybe didn't catch that episode. I told you last week that statistically, TCU was not on the same planet as the other three teams in the college football playoffs this season. And here's here's why. Let me just give you some numbers. Again, I'm just, I'm just talking about statistics here, all right? These are just the numbers. Michigan coming into the semifinals, so this doesn't factor in, what, Saturday's games, but coming into the playoff, Michigan was plus 2290 in their total yardage margin. So they outgained their opponents by 2,290 yards. They were plus 26.7 points per game, which means they're outscoring their opponents by an average of 26.7 points per game. We were plus 2,600 yards in our yardage margin, plus 26.4 points per game. Ohio State was plus 2,275 and plus 25.2 points per game. TCU, really good, just not on that level. They came into the playoffs plus 1140 in their total yardage margin and plus 15.3. So their total yardage margin was less than half of what Georgia's was, less than half of what Michigan's was, and basically exactly half of what Ohio State's was. In fact, I'll go back to last year. I'll just give you kind of a comparison here if you're not like super familiar with yardage margin as a statistic. But Mississippi State last year, not this year's Mississippi State, last year's Mississippi State team that went 6 and 6 in the regular season that team was plus 1250 last year so they outgained their opponents last season by more yards than TCU outgained their opponents this season in some way somehow TCU went 12 and 0 and Mississippi State went 6 and 6 in the regular season last year how does that happen well i don't want to say luck, but there is a strong luck factor in that. Like make, and There's also a, a making plays when you got to make plays and crunch time factor, which that should be to their credit. But guys, most teams that are only plus 1140 in their yardage margin are not remotely sniffing the college football playoff. That's typically like the, the statistical profile of like a nine and three type team, not a 12 and 0 college football playoff team. Like, here's a good example. Minnesota. Minnesota this year, guys, was plus 1,236 yards on the year in their total yardage margin, which is more than TCU, right? Well, what was what is Minnesota's record this year? They were 9-4. and four. A good year. A, a, they were a good, solid team, but that's not a team that's remotely sniffing, like, not, not even their conference championship, let alone the college football playoff let alone the national championship. So all I'm saying is like from a statistical profile standpoint, TCU is more in line with a team like Minnesota who was 8-4 and four in the regular season. There is a reason why TCU had six games that they won by one score. Six of the 13 wins they've got this year were by one score, guys. Almost half of their wins are by one score. Well, let's 
do a comparison here. How many does Georgia have by one score? We all know Missouri is one of them, right? And then we know the one-point victory against Ohio State. So two, that's it. Two of our 14 wins, we have one more win than TCU, two of our 14 wins were by one score. Six of 13 for TCU. That should tell you something there. Now, again, give the Horn Frogs credit for winning those football games. There's something about being the team of destiny, right? That's one that, that's maybe my biggest concern in this entire matchup. It's just like TCU has this way to win football games, of just finding a way to dig deep and win games. There's that Cinderella luck factor. Like, will their luck run out? I hope so, but I don't know, man. It's been there all year for them. They honestly have no business being it, they have no business being 13 and one. They don't. And I know I told you guys I don't have a ton of notes and I don't, but I do have a couple of numbers I was able to put together. I found a little bit of time to sneak in some of these numbers here, but just giving you some, you know, these are not necessarily all advanced stats. Some of them are, but ESPN's FPI, take it for what it's worth. They have, we are first in ESPN's FPI. We're the top ranked team. TCU, solid at number 11. If you look at yards per play offensively, we are second nationally at 7.1. TCU is really good because their offense is awesome, but they're not as good as our offense, at least statistically. At 6.5 yards per play, that's 13th nationally. Um, if you look defensively, yards per play allowed, we are, we're not as good as, as we were last year. I mean, I've told you guys that all year, but we're still really good and better than TCU. We're giving up 4.9 yards per play, which is 24th nationally. TCU giving up 5.4, which is 56, which is a massive leap from the 7.2 they gave up last year. Uh, yards per rush for Georgia, third nationally, 5.6. TCU's right there, 5.4, really good. Um, you look at yards per pass, uh, Georgia's top 10, number seven nationally, 8.9 yards per, per attempt. TCU, again, really good, top 15, 8.4 yards per attempt. Rush defense, you know how good we are against the run. TCU, 66 nationally, giving up 4.2 yards per rush. Um, they're 47 nationally in uh, passing yard, yards per pass allowed, 6.9. Scoring offense, they're seventh nationally, 39.7. Again, this, this team is offensively driven. Defensively, they're much better than they were last year, but still not great. I told you, though, they're like slightly above average statistically on defense. And if you watch them play, they're kind of like that too. They're 60 third nationally giving up 27.2 points per game you guys know where we are after Ohio State we dropped a little bit giving up 15.9 yards per play which is our 15.9 points per game which is fifth nationally but it doesn't stop there if you go a little bit more in detail you guys know I love my advanced stats I try not to put too many of them out there for you guys I, I, I use them a lot for like betting purposes but I know like you guys, most of you listening are not the average fan. You're in advanced stats, but we also try to attract some some fans that might not be as into advanced stats, and so I don't throw them out there as much as maybe I once did, but I'll give you a couple here. So offensive success rate. So if you guys aren't familiar with success rate, real quickly, it's a pretty basic thing. They There's a way to measure the success of each play. On first downs, if you gain 50% of the needed yards get a first down, that's considered a successful play. On second down, if you get 70% of the yards you need to get a first down, that's that's considered a successful play. On third down, basically, do you get a first down on third down? That's what makes third down considered a successful play. So offensive success rate, TCU is 55th nationally. Compare that to Georgia, we are third nationally. Defensive success rate, we are 10th nationally. TCU, again, slightly above average defense. They're 51st nationally in defense success rate. And I put a lot of stock in success rate, guys. Uh, if you look at net points per drive, TCU 21st, really good on offense, right? Uh, our net points per drive, though, third nationally. If you look at EPA per rush, so expected points is expected points added stuff, which is like very advanced stuff. And I don't want to confuse people and try to explain it there. But if you know, you know. Uh, their EPA rush 
is 18th nationally. Uh, our rush, de- our rush, EPA rush defense is second nationally. Our EPA rush offense is 11th nationally. Uh, their EPA pass is 30th. Our EPA pass is second. So yes, TCU is is really good. They're a really good football team. But statistically, are they on Georgia's level? Statistically, no. I mean, I, I just gave you the comparison there. They're not. There's way more. I just don't want to read a bunch of numbers. I know that's not great podcasting. It gets kind of boring. But statistically speaking, they were not on the same planet as the other three teams in the college football playoff this season. And those numbers I just rattled off for you, that is why. That's what I'm talking about. Now, does that mean that TCU cannot win this game? and keep their Cinderella story going and becoming like maybe the greatest Cinderella in college ball history? No, that does not mean they cannot win this game, right? Just like it didn't mean they couldn't beat Michigan. They were not on Michigan's level from a statistical standpoint, but they still found a way to win that game. What I'm saying is for a team that is statistically so far away from the other teams in the college ball playoff that they're going to have to beat to get to where they want to go win the national title, things have to break their way, Right? Teams have to throw pick sixes. Teams have to go for it on fourth down the first drive and run some ridiculous trick play and not score. Get zero points there. Teams have to fumble the ball on the one-yard line. Have like three drives, they get zero points inside the red zone. That's what has to happen for a team with TCU's statistical profile to be able to beat teams like Michigan, who statistically are far superior. But stats only take you so far. Games are played on the field, right? That's where games are decided. We should not lose to TCU. We really should not, guys. But that doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean TCU cannot beat us. Michigan should not have lost to TCU, but they did because they screwed around and didn't play a good game. If we don't play well, guys, we did not play well against Ohio State. Now, we were fortunate to beat Ohio State, but if we don't play well and we turn the ball over and we don't score in the red zone and we give them easy scoring opportunities, we give up special teams touchdowns, then absolutely they are capable of beating us like they're good enough they have enough talent to have that puncher's chance or even maybe more than a puncher's chance of beating us because they're a good football team and that momentum they have the Cinderella story there's something to that man they believe there's something to that so doesn't mean they can't beat us when I read off all those numbers it just means throughout the season they haven't been remotely as dominant and they should not beat us but don't confuse should not be able to beat us with cannot beat us. Those are two very different things. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But all right, guys, so I want to lay all that stuff out there. Now, but before I get out of here, I do want to, I don't know, quickly, I don't know, however much time it takes, we'll do it, right? Let's, uh, let's go through both sides of the ball and let's talk about these players, right? Let's talk about the impact players, this TCU team. In fact, I'm going to talk about more than the impact players. I'm going to talk about basically all the players. Again, I'm very, very well acquainted with this TCU football team. You got to start with Quentin Johnson. He's going to be their highest draft pick in this year's draft. He's a junior draft eligible. He is reportedly, I mean, the word is now he's going to be the first receiver taken. We'll see if that all kind of works out that way after the combine and pro day and all that kind of stuff. But right now, like he, he's going to be drafted in the first round. Will he be the first receiver taken? We'll see. I don't know, but it's certainly possible. Quinton Johnston is a, he's a stud guys. Like, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's one, like talking about, you know, last year when I watched them play when they weren't good and I but I came away, like looking at these players, I'm like, dude, those guys are good. He was the top of my list. Like he was number one. I was like, oh my God, that guy is a freaking stud. And he is, man. Big, tall, rangy, physical, fast player. Not as fast in a not as quick in a short area, but once the dude gets going, that dude can move, as evidenced by that 74, 75 yard touchdown. I, mean, I think actually it was a 76 yard screen pass. He took the distance to that was really the, the decisive score against Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. The dude has great hands. He's always been more of a deep, a big play threat than anything. He's not like a down-to-down guy. He's going to be a possession receiver. And, and like He's not the greatest route runner. He's not like a technician to the degree of like a Marvin Harrison Jr. and a Mecca Ibuka, which is what made those guys so great. But physically, from an athleticism standpoint, he is superior to Harrison Jr. and a Mecca Ibuka. He's just not like the polished technician of those guys. But he doesn't have to be because he's bigger and has a wider catch radius than those guys. Uh, but here's the thing with, with Quentin Johnston. He has explosive playmaking ability. You saw that against Michigan. Six catches for 163 yards against Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. Four catches for 139 yards. But in the regular season, like this is where like people have not watched TCU all year. People, A lot of people who are, I'm going to say casual college football fans, but there's a lot of teams that play every Saturday. You can't watch every team. I'm the I'm the weirdo who records every single game that's played in college football. I have YouTube TV. I record every single game that's recorded. And I'm watching games through like Wednesday. And that's, I, that's why like, I don't, like if you're DMing me on a, on a Saturday football game and I don't respond, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's because like I'm, I'm on a social media blackout because I don't want spoilers. And I've learned to be able to do that because I just want to watch as many games as I can. So I know I'm the weirdo. Like, I'm the strange person. Most normal people don't watch as much as they can. I don't have enough time, right? You got kids, you got jobs. I don't got kids. I got to worry about that. So I got more time to watch football. So, but, but most people like tune in, they watch the big games, right? So they watch the Big 12 Championship. They watch the Fiesta Bowl. And in both those games, they saw Quentin Johnson just like show out, man. 139 yards, 163 yards, big plays here, big plays there, right? And like, dude, like, how can Georgia stop this guy? And it's like, well, I mean, a lot of teams like held this guy in check. If you look at the regular season, the dude only had 200 plus yard games all year in the regular season. Now, the last two games in the postseason have also been 100 plus yards, but only had two in the regular season. Now, one of those was an explosive day against Kansas, who is one of the worst defenses in the entire country. Had 14 catches for 206 yards in that game. Then you had follow that up the next week against Oklahoma State, who also had a terrible defense, and two overtimes had eight catches for 180 yards. Those are the only two games where he had over 100 yards in the regular season. In fact, outside of those two games, he did not have 
a game where he had more than 76 yards receiving. So he had two explosive games in the regular season. He was under 1,000 yards receiving in the regular season. Now these last two games, he's at 1,066. He was like at 800-something yards going into the um, into the postseason. Here's the other thing with Quentin Johnson. If you add the numbers up, he's got, let me count him up here real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of his 12 games, he was hurt for a couple of games, held him out for a couple of games. But nine of the 12 games that he played this year, he had four or fewer receptions. This is not me telling you Quentin, Quentin Johnston is not good. The dude is very good. He is a flat-out threat. He is an explosive play waiting to happen. But down to down, he's not always a factor. And there have been plenty of examples this season where he just wasn't a factor, especially early in the year, guys. It took him a while to go get going. That, that game against Kansas in October was his breakout game. Leading up to that game... Let me read you his numbers. Three catches, 22 yards. Two catches, 22 yards. Three catches, 29 yards. Four catches, 41 yards. Then boom, 14 for 206. Boom, eight for 180. And then after that, back down. Four for 74. Four for 76. Three for 66. Four for 48. And then you get into the Cosmo playoff. Four for 139. Six for 163. So yes, he has the explosive playmaking ability, but he's not consistently that guy. And part of that is Max Duggan not always being super consistent as a passer himself. So let's go to Max Duggan. Heisman Trophy runner-up. Max Duggan, awesome player. Guys, I it's one of the things about this game, it's really hard for like, it's been hard for me to like summon up the hate I need for TCU in this game. And I, usually that's easy for me. I hate everybody, man. I don't want anybody else to win, especially if, we're, if you're playing us. But like this TCU team, they are, man. Like they're such a great story. I, I've been investing in them all year for like financial reasons. But they've also got some good dudes. And Max Duggan is one of those guys. It is really hard to root for him. I'm not going to go through this entire story. You guys know they've made it very obvious to everyone the past couple of weeks leading up to the playoffs. But it's a great story, man. And um, he's been really good for them. And he deserved to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Do I think he deserved to be the runner-up? I don't know. But hey, he's had a really good year. But he's had some inconsistencies. So Duggan has had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games this season where he's been under 60% completion percentage. In fact, he's got three games where he's under 52 or he's 52 or less completion percentage. So that's what I'm talking about. When I say there's inconsistencies at the quarterback position as a passer, that's what I'm talking about. It's not that Duggan's not good. It's not that he can't make plays in the passing game. He can. He has. He is good. But if you look at Quentin Johnson, like why maybe was he, he kind of inconsistent from game to game? Well, I think it's largely because there's some inconsistencies there at quarterback. Now, Duggan did a really good job protecting the football this year. Only threw six interceptions. In fact, he only threw, in the regular season, he only threw three interceptions. I think he was like 29 touchdowns to three interceptions in the regular season. So, had a fantastic year. He's also, as you, if you watch the Michigan game, you know, if you watch TCU at all, he is a major threat with his legs. Now, he's a different kind of threat. He's not an explosive runner. Now, don't get me wrong. He's plenty fast enough. But what makes him unique and what makes him special is this dude runs with reckless abandon. He puts his body on the line when he runs the football. Why do they not sneak it? And why did they cost me all that money in the Big 12 title game in overtime? Because the dude was banged up, man. He takes shots and he keeps coming back for more. This dude is a warrior and I'm trying to hate him for one game. I'm trying really hard, guys. But man, like he is he has been so fun to watch and I have so much respect for him. 
He is a leader. He puts it out there on the line for his team, and he picks up the tough yards. Now, there's some games where, you know, it doesn't have that many yards rushing. 15 against Kansas State, 15 yards rushing, or 15 carries for 13 yards in the regular season. Against West Virginia, six carries for two yards. Texas Tech, 12 carries for six yards. Uh, Texas, 10 carries for negative 41. Let's see here. SMU, 10 for minus 111. So it's not like he's always just breaking off big numbers. He has some of those games, like Oklahoma, 5 for 116. Uh, Oklahoma State, 11 for 57. Kansas, 9 for 55. Uh, Kansas State in the in the Big 12 title game, 15 for 110, 15 for 57 against Michigan. So he's got plenty of those games where he like puts up big yardage numbers, but it's not every game. But even those games where he's not putting up the big numbers, when he runs the ball, they often use him in critical situations, whether that's on third or fourth and short, whether it's in the red zone. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, when they get in the red zone, especially inside the 10-yard line, Max Duggan is going to run the football. He's going to run the freaking football. Get ready for it. And if I know that, you know our coaches do it. Our team knows it. But it's one thing to know it and actually be able to stop it. And that's it's so hard when you have a dual threat quarterback like that, especially a physical one, because you get numbers, right? It gives you a plus one in the box, because the guy that you would be handing the ball off to, the running back, is now a blocker. And the defense is, they're down a number. And there's not a body to account for the quarterback as a runner. I and mean, the guy is that physical, especially in confined space in the red zone, it's tough, man. It's tough to stop. So I'm just telling you, when they need a yard, when they need a score in the red zone, they're going to Max Duggan. Trust me on that. And the dude will fight for every single inch in those scenarios. And there's a passer, again, I mentioned, kind of inconsistent. Um, he throws a good deep ball. I think at times... I don't think, I know, I, I'm just, I'm trying to not be mean to the guy, but hey, like, hey, got some of the hate, right? He is erratic with his accuracy at times, um, and that's pretty routine for him. Like, he'll get, he'll, he's kind of streaky. Like, he'll get in a streak where he's, he's putting the ball in the money and, and making a lot of really big-time throws, and he gets on these streaks where it's like, dude, can you hit anything? Like, there were a couple throws against Michigan, and if y'all are watching, you know what I'm talking about. I was like, dude, like, you're not even, like, you're not in the ballpark, man. That's not even close. And I'm talking about some like uncontested throws with clean pockets. Like it just happens sometimes for him. Now he's been lucky that that erratic accuracy hasn't cost him more in terms of like interceptions. But like if you look at some of the completion percentage numbers where there's all these games where he's under under 60%, under 52%, like that's why. He's just an erratic passer at times. It's not always this game. That's why he lost the job last year to Chandler Morris. He was not the starter, as you know, coming to the year. It was Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris gets hurt in the in the Colorado game, which I was watching on my phone waiting into the sports bar in Atlanta uh, before the, the Oregon game. Because again, that was I, I, that, at that time, I didn't know they were going to be like this good. I was I was hoping TCU would get one non-conference win and get off to a good start so I could win that, that win total bet. And Chandler Morris goes down. I'm like, uh-oh. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Max Doug, I like this guy. I remember this guy from last year. And it's like, he's in and playing well. And then, then the rest is history, right? So um, yeah, Max Doug, a good player. We all know that. Uh, but it, it doesn't stop there. Let's keep going on offense here a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some of the other receivers. We know Quentin Johnson is their playmaker, but he's not the only guy they have receiver. I would say the other guys are more complimentary to him. But Savion Williams is a junior. He's a guy that I think, like he's going to be their number one guy next year, I think. Um, he's a really good player. He, I think he's their next most talented receiver. Not quite Quentin Johnson level, but he's a he's a big body with some athleticism. Uh, Tay Barber's also been around for a long time. He's a really good player himself. Tay Barber, if you look at some of these numbers, you know, last year Tay Barber had a really good year for TCU. This year, like his numbers are good, 
But again, like you, you have Quentin Johnson on your team, like you're not going to get as many looks. But this year, uh, Tay Barber's got 600 yards receiving on 36 catches. That's compared to uh, Quentin Johnson's 1066. Savion Williams only got 392, uh, but he's a guy that can make plays. The other guy is a small little jitterbug man. His name is Darius Davis. He's like five. I mean, they, I think he's listed at like five seven five eight. That dude's like I don't know. He might be five five man. That's a small dude. But Darius Davis is a he's, he is a master of the screen game. Like they want to get that guy, the ball in space and just let him make plays. Cause he's so small. He's not gonna go up and win contested catches. That's not what he does. They want to get him the ball on short intermediate routes, a lot of screens and let him just go to work. And, and he, if he gets out in space, if you give him room, if, and if, like, if, if he's one-on-one in space and makes you miss like that dude's going to the house. He's also, I think the best kick returner, punt return in the country. I think he's got what? Yeah, it's six returns in his career for touchdowns. Five of those as a punt returner. One is a, as a kick returner. He's a more dangerous punt returner, but he's also a dangerous kick returner. And again, like all he needs is the slightest bit of room, and that dude is taking it to the house. So you got to be very aware of him when he's on the field offensively, and know what they're trying to do with him when when he's out there. And like, you can't kick to the guy. You cannot kick to the guy. It cannot happen. And if it does, you better get some serious hang time because he is a threat. I'm going to be watching with bated breath on Monday night every time if we try to kick to that guy because that guy is just an absolute explosive play waiting to happen in the return game. And don't forget about Jared Wiley at their at tight end. He like he's not their only tight end. He's their primary tight end. He's a transfer from Texas. And he is a big target out there, guys. Like, no, he's not Darnell Washington level, but he's 6'7", 255. Not quite as, like, big and physical as Darnell, but he's a guy that has athleticism along with size. He plays in line for them a lot. He'll, he'll flex out at times. He's a good blocker. He's a functional blocker. And he will make plays in the passing game. Because if you're paying so much attention to Quentin Johnston and Tay Barber and Darius Davis... Well, there's this tight end over here who can make plays. 22 catches, 231 on the year, four touchdowns. Not dynamic numbers, but if you're not paying attention, he's good enough to hurt you. And I do think he's an NFL caliber player. I really do believe that. So they got a lot of weapons in the past game. Kendra Miller at running back is so good, man. He's a really tough, physical, hard-nosed runner. But he also has like really deceptive speed, in my opinion. And he has had one hell of a year. I mean, he is their top guy. Like, it's really not even close. He's got 224 rushes on the year. Their next closest, a Mary DiMercato, who's a guy who came in and played most of the game because Kendrick Miller got hurt against uh, against Michigan. So DiMercato had to play a lot. But DiMercato only has 107 carries in the year. So Kendrick Miller is their guy. Like, they want to feed him. You know, I know some of us want to want to, some of some of the fans in the Georgia fan base want us to like find a running back and just feed him. They do that with Kendra Miller. He's a 1,400-yard rusher on the year, averaging 6.2 yards per carry, 17 touchdowns on the ground. DiMercato's good, just he's not as good. 622-yards rushing, 5.8. I don't know what Miller's health stats is going to be. I, I imagine he's going to give it a go. I don't think it's the thing that's where he's just like out. There's no chance he's going to play. I don't think he'll be 100%. But DiMercato, again, is a really good player in his own right. And Max Duggan, as a, as a runner, can also pick up some of that slack. And that's where, like when you have Max Duggan as a as a dual threat quarterback, this is where I've always thought dual threat quarterbacks are more b- beneficial than anywhere. Like, yes, the yards they pick up on their own is great, but even if they don't have a great, even if it's like a day where Max Duggan's run 15 times for 11 yards, the fact that he poses a threat with his legs opens things up more for the actual running backs because the backside, if you're running just a simple zone read, the backside end cannot crash on the running back, which gives the running back more room to operate. Because the quarterback could easily just pull it. Now, there's different ways 
teams use quarterback run game and they put defenses in conflict. That's just a classic example. But he really helps those running backs be more effective with what he poses as a threat with his legs in the run game. But Kendra Miller, DeMarcado, both big, tough, physical backs. Miller's more explosive, and he is a guy that gets in space. Like He's got a good burst, good acceleration. He's not the fastest guy out there, but like once he gets going, he can move. He's a really, really, really good running back. So the TCU offense is full of playmakers, and they have been the engine to this TCU team all year. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we talked a lot earlier about the 3-3-5, so I don't want to go too much into a rabbit hole right now on that because I don't want to repeat myself. But yes, they run the 3-3-5. As I laid out earlier, I talked about some of the some of the benefits running 3-3-5 and some of the, the vulnerabilities, but it's a, it's a different system, right? And they have a lot of players that really fit that system. The guy that I love on this team, I think he's a stud. He was a monster against Michigan. And I wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise because he's been so good all year is D-Winners. So the 3-3-5, obviously you have three inside linebackers. D-Winners plays their Sam linebacker. Um, he is a, he's a great pass rusher. He's physical at the point of attack. They don't really miss much against the run with those three inside linebackers. So they're both really, they're all three really good. But that guy, I think, is the most explosive and the best athlete of the three of that trio. I think he's an NFL guy. I think that they all could be NFL guys. Uh, Johnny Hodges is like your throwback middle linebacker. He's transferred over from Navy. Not the most athletic or fastest guy in the world, but he plays with his hair on fire and is a really tough physical player in the middle of that defense, a really strong tackler. They're undersized on the defensive front. They're undersized everywhere. That's just part of the deal with this defense. But there are two defensive ends, Dylan Horton and Terrell Cooper. They go 275 and, and 280. That's why I think another reason why I think Darnell Washington is so important in this game because when he's on the edge there, like mismatch, like Darnell is destroying those guys. It's just going to happen. Their nose tackles bigger. He's 320 pounds. His name is Dominic Williams. He's a freshman. He's really inexperienced, but he's, I mean, at this point, he's not really a freshman anymore. But, you know, he's been good for them. It's kind of an anchor in the middle of defense. But I have questions about how he's going to hold up against some of the bigger guys that we have in the interior of our offensive line. I don't think he had a great game against Michigan. He was fine against Michigan, um, but he's not like a dynamic playmaker. He's just more of a a space eater there, but he's a good player. You just got to at least know his name. In the secondary, as I mentioned, is Travis Hodges Tomlinson. He's the Thorpe Award winner back there. He's an incredible athlete. He's got really good range, great hips. He can flip them and and change direction really, really well. He's got good ball skills as well. Josh Newton, the other cornerback, I don't like. There's not a ton of a drop off there between those two corners. I think they're both really good. I think they're both going to be NFL guys. And hey, you guys remember the, the name Timon Mitchell? Remember that name, right? He was on our roster for a couple of years, but could just never really crack the rotation on our defensive line. Well, where is old Timon Mitchell? Oh yeah, he's in Fort Worth. He's at TCU right now. So that's just kind of an interesting subplot here. Like how much does he know about our defense? Like how much can he fill them in? Like, I don't know. I mean, does that, does that even matter? I don't know. It does, I guess it doesn't not matter, but does it really matter that much? I don't know. But he's a depth piece. They don't really have, they don't play a ton of guys. It's kind of like Ohio State on defense. They don't rotate that much. They have their starting 11. They kind of roll with those guys. They'll rotate on the on the defensive line some. They don't really, they don't, they don't rotate at, at middle linebacker really at all. They don't rotate in the secondary unless somebody gets hurt, you know, but uh, their strong 11 is a really good unit running that three, three, five, Joe Gillespie, really, really, really good defense corner that I have a ton of respect for. In fact, you know, Sonny Dykes, you know, he said in the preseason, the reason I brought him over is because like 
when I was coaching at SMU all those years, we had to play Tulsa. He was the coordinator that I hated to play against the most. He's the one that gave our offense the most issues and I had the most respect for. So when I'm gonna when I'm going to TCU, who am I gonna go target as my DC? That guy, right? Makes a lot of sense, man. Like it might be simple, but it makes a lot of sense. And he's done a hell of a job getting this defense not just to moderate levels of improvement, like significant levels of improvement. So there you go, guys. There is the scouting the enemy episode. I know, like, I was probably all over the place. I don't have notes. I usually have like some bit of an outline to operate off of, so keep myself on track. I did not have that today for the reasons I said earlier. It just been a, a crazy week getting ready for this game and getting things in order. But uh, I hope it. I hope this was instructive. I hope this helped you kind of get a better feel for TCU. Again, not our official preview. Curtis will be back with me to do that. We'll have that for you guys on Sunday. But thank you for being here, guys. Guys, I'm getting excited, man. Like we're getting closer and closer. It's crazy. So we're getting closer, man. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even gonna handle it as we get closer and closer. I start to get really nervous. But hey, man, I'm just excited to be there. But thank you guys for being here. Love you. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.